0: Hello, I'm Josh Baer, and welcome to the Bear Facts Podcast. Our guest for this episode is Louis Gowser, founder of Fair Warning, the single-lot auction app, which is relaunching this week after a two-year hiatus. You probably know him from his time at Christie's, where he was the key figure behind the $450 million sale of Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Monday. We'll start off with a story from that sale. What was the name of your taxi driver on the way into the auction that night for the Da Vinci? The Uber driver was
1: named. You have a good memory. It was on the day of the auction and I could barely eat my breakfast. I actually could could not eat anything. And we had to go in this day and we knew that like, as always, stars have to align. At the end of the day, there's not that much you can do. The stars, they align or they don't, but like moving stars, it's not that easy. And, but then suddenly when I ordered my Uber, the Uber says, gonna be there in three minutes, your driver is Leonardo. So when that happened, <laughs> you have a good memory, but that, when that happened, I said, that what are the chance that the Uber driver is called Leonardo, it's all gonna be good. All the stars are starting to align from this moment. What happened is that I went down there and I realized that I forgot my tie, which I needed for the auction. So then I was terrified of losing him. So I just, I said, sir, I, I forgot my tie, but please, please do not cancel me because I need to take this ride with you. I cannot not take this ride with you. He said, please, please, please don't cancel. I'm just gonna go up and I'm get my time I'll be back. I'm just begging you. And he said, sure, sure, sure. And I rushed up, I got back. And then when I was in the car, I was like, I said, okay, I can surrender. It's gonna happen. And I guess the, the rest was, uh, was history.
0: Louis, before we get into what you're up to, you want to tell us a, little, a cute little story about you and the Bear Facts?
1: Um, I've been a long time fan of the Bear Facts because back then when I was a kid working in a gallery in Switzerland, there was probably already internet, but it was very little ways to access or to know what was going on in the art world and in the art market. So I used to work for this dealer called Marc Blondeau, who was a great dealer. And I would wait the Bare Fax like it was a Christmas present almost just to understand what was going on. And we got the results on the art market, of course, but we got like a lot of interesting color and, you know, there was no preview on television. You like that beep sound coming in of the fax machine? I was literally waiting by the by the fax machine and then checking all those names. I didn't know half of them who they were. I remember once you said, Seguero bought this artwork and then he said he had a great haircut. I didn't know what he looked like and I was starting to imagine like this crazy haircut. He actually has a pretty uh, crazy hairstyle when I saw him the first time.
0: But now it's 25 years or whatever later, a lot of us will get right to it. We're very excited when we saw out of the blue this app, so to speak, called Fair Warning, which was a single-odd auction. And it's like, oh, my God, and has created this thing. We loved it. And then it went fishing for like a year or two. And now it's fair to say Fair Warning is coming back. Tell us about Fair Warning and Fair Warning, what I call
1: 2.0. So Fair Warning 1.0 was, uh, I would say, an experiment that we started doing covid uh, literally out of the garage of my house in Montauk, while the whole auction world was stuck in, uh, in questioning of how they would like reinvent the model and how to operate in new circumstances. And we, I think, moved pretty fast and created this platform, basically, to auction art uh, during that moment. And it was a test run and an experiment, but it did extremely well.
0: Explain in a sentence or two the elevator thing of what the model
1: was and what you did. The model was to have a very... Simple platform basically where people could consign art, and then the work would be seen for a week on the platform on fair warning. And so that was the only work you could focus on. It was, that was one it. work a week. One work a week. And then at the end of that, uh, usually on a Thursday at like 5 p.m., the work was auctioned uh, in a live auction basically where you just had to take your phone and swipe right. Uh, every time you wanted to bid and the auctions would last, you know, a few minutes like every other auction. And then the lot was sold and then you move on to the next one. It was a kind of an auction where you had to be there on time. You snooze, you lose type kind of thing. You know, we sold a whole range of artworks all the way up to uh, Basquiat for like 11 or 12 million dollars, uh, straight out of the garage of Montauk, which was interesting because you had people coming all the way schlepping themselves to actually see the works and standing in a mask and with the surfboards right, left, and center and looking at the artwork. It was an ex- exciting time.
0: How many auctions did you do?
1: I think I did something. We did like something like 23 auctions uh, before I stopped. So why did you stop? You know, people were asking the questions because we were obviously doing very well. And I stopped because I had, like, unfortunately, really bad health issues. I had got a really bad case of Lyme, and it was getting worse and worse. And at some point, it was just untenable. So I just put the kabasha on it with the idea of coming back to it when I was feeling better. It took longer than I expected. It was a big battle, and it's not something I wish on my worst enemies. But um, I had to go through all those rounds of treatment, and I don't want to go into details. But anyway, that's the story. One other
0: key structure of it and then we get to what fair warning is now. Not anybody could just go to the app store, download the app and swipe right and bid,
1: right? The way we do it is basically by application. You download the app, you submit your application. We have a little committee that we review all the applications. And I think this was really in a way, first from a logistical point of view, because there's a lot of KYC involved so we have to know or have a sense of who the collectors are. We really have to be above board and etc. The idea of really building a community of people who are there for the right reason, who are there to collect, who are, you know, there for their their love of art, and generally like to to weed out, I would say, the assholes, because I have like this uh, code of conduct, or this book that I had read, which is called The No Asshole Rule, and you try to, you know, keep People who are just going to make your life miserable, are not going to pay, are going to bring negativity in the space. You know, we decided we have the luxury of having a platform where we we can allow good energy.
2: Join us after the break as Loic shares his plans for the relaunch of Fair Warning and his impressions from the recent fall auctions in New York. This episode is brought to you by art and tech innovator TR Lab. TR Lab partners with artists, foundations, and institutions to develop unique digital art experiences with an educational mission. Visit trlab.com to see how TR Lab is fusing blockchain technology with fine art expertise to pioneer the future of collecting.
0: So Fair Warning 2.0, what's different,
1: what's the same? The first iteration of Fair Warning, as I said, was a bit of an experiment. It was successful, but it was a toddler. Now, I think it's like coming into adolescence. It's probably growing a bit of facial hair. And, you know, we're actually turning this into a business, uh, hiring people. So a lot of, you know, back end that is coming on board.
0: We can get to the back end in a second. Will the front end look different?
1: No. One thing is, Fair Warning is a very simple model. It's just one work once a week or once every two weeks. And, what we are trying to do is to create this moment of like peace or safety in this chaos, basically. And we're trying to actually not reinvent the wheel or add too many be- bells and whistles. We're going to, of course, iterate, but we're just trying to like, get closer and closer to the initial vision. So I don't think there's any radical change. The main focus is always going to be a great artwork and absolute focus and continuing that way. And I think where there is going to be change, it's, you know, as Fair gets stronger and gains the credibility and all the stuff, we really want to, like, go further in the concept of what can be auctioned. I think we're definitely always going to keep art as a backbone, as a cornerstone of of what we're doing and, and quality, but then we want to push... You mean push. it could
0: be a car, it could be a house, it could be anything that fits the um, desire of your core audience?
1: I think anything that is special, but it could be a solid, it could be an object, it could be an experience. We were joking at, at some point that we would do fair warning and then we would actually auction fair warning on itself on the last day. You know, it's just abstract ideas like that. And then this is, of course, not going to happen. But I kind of want to use fair warning to push the boundaries on what can be auctioned. And I do think there's a lot more in terms of artists that don't get the spotlight for sure, but there's a lot of things and objects and situations and experiences that no one has ever thought about actually, you know, auctioning or selling and creating a competition for.
0: How much is the buyer's premium and
1: did you change that? So the buyer's premium is still uh, 15% flat. So it's roughly half what uh, the auction houses charge. I think it's clear, it's simple.
0: Are you going to be doing guarantees sometimes?
1: We're going to be doing guarantees, yeah. yeah. We did guarantees in the past. We are going to continue doing guarantees. I think it's very hard to work without it. Um, it's an essential tool.
0: Well, you spent almost your whole career in the auction business. What did you learn from that that you're applying to fair warning, which is an auction, so you are an auction house, mm-hmm. even if it's in your house. Well, what experiences it's
1: not in my house anymore, but uh, what
0: experiences come through?
1: I think working in an auction house or outside of an auction house, you constantly have to force yourself to think differently. The big challenge working in auction house um, is that. You know, we're in a world of data where in most of the places data is very important. It is important in our world. In an auction house, we are flooded by data points, by information, and, you know, Artnet. These are important factors, but they're also shackles. I I don't know any great collections that was made by relying on, on Artnet or only on Artnet or any great sales that were... Uh, you know, So
0: when you were in charge of the Da Vinci Salvador Monday, you, you didn't do a Da Vinci database <laughs> sense where people were saying, well, what are the comps for paintings from then sort of on wood? But, you know, all this, I need the Da Vinci comps. Is that sort of like, in a sense, led you to fair warning and that there is no data for
1: some of this? Of course there was no data of Da Vinci, there's not much, you can search on Artnet, but in general when you deal with great works of art, which I always try to do, you know, they're like, as we say in French, they're like hors category, so you have to somehow fly without the instruments, basically, and that's what makes, I think, a good specialist is the one, and a good collector also, the ones who can actually emit a judgment without the instruments, and I, this is something that I learned from some mentors, but also from People I've mentored to really try to, yes, to get gather as much data as you can, but then like take a step back and then really like try to feel from within, um, from your gut, where how is this gonna perform? How is this gonna last? How is this gonna, you know, become part of the discussion, uh, the longevity, etc. You know, we are really in a world where, of course, AI is at the forefront of everyone every conversation, and it's all. You know, I do think that to some extent, I would imagine that art is going to be one of the most resistant bastions to AI. I think the day they do, you know, AG, artificial gut, maybe, then it can be, uh, that's going to be interesting.
2: After the break, Loic reveals the painting soon to be the first lot of Fair Warning 2.0, and his deeper motivations for founding the platform as a response to the current state of the auction world. This episode is brought to you by art and tech innovator TR Lab. TR Lab partners with artists, foundations, and institutions to develop unique digital art experiences with an educational mission. Visit trlab.com to see how TR Lab is fusing blockchain technology with fine art expertise to pioneer the future of collecting. This
0: is a more personal question, but I can Related to Josh Bear and the Bear Facts, now that you have investors, Mm -hmm. we can talk about that, how that changes things. Now I have investors, it's like, how do you distinguish Loic from Fair Warning? It's a question we ask, Like how do we distinguish the Bear
1: Facts from Josh Bear? Have you thought about what that means? Fair Warning started with Loic, I guess, but my team, actually my family, my girlfriend, future wife, was involved with it. My co-founder is my sister-in-law so you know this is an entire team who i could have never done anything without the whole idea of this business is to actually to grow it with other tastemakers, people who come to the table and just like bring their own vision i'm not interested in necessarily in my vision and i don't think people should be interested in necessarily in my vision they can like it they can agree with it or not the idea is to bring people with vision
0: But that's one of its greatest strengths is that you have a distinct vision. So that's both a strength and a weakness at the same time, right?
1: Yeah, I think I have a vision. I still have a vision. At least I have an idea. I have a vision. I just don't know if it's a good one, but I always have visions and medium-term, long-term ideas of where the art market is going, where Mm -hmm. art history is going. But the main vision, the overarching vision, is that I want to bring a cluster of people with vision, with ideas, and hopefully this is going to grow in, in this way where people will come to Fair Warning, knowing that the art that is shown here is our objects that are just not coming because they're coming because someone died or someone's divorcing, they're coming at Fair Warning because some people were sitting in a room and saying, okay, this is something we want to go after. So. That it's mine or someone else's or a combination of thinkers or idea makers, that's where fair warning is gonna thrive, basically.
0: So are you thinking from the vantage point of the buyer or the
1: seller? From the vantage point of the buyer. Right now, you know the auction houses do a great job, but they're I would say it's not a bad term, but a general outlet where everything that is priced right to the market. They're marketplace. They're marketplace. They're general marketplace and that is very confusing to collectors. It's even confusing to professionals. There is so much material. Every painting brings a backstory. And it's just you have to like not only get the, the true story, the, the fact about this work, but then you have hundreds and hundreds of competing works. So you don't have this focus. And there's no, by definition, because it's a marketplace, there's no real intent. But at Fair Warning, in its DNA, everything we have is the result of not only a price conversation and a market conversation, etc., but it's a result of an artistical conversation and thinking. So there's an intent that you know that when you come at Fair Warning you buy something, someone actually put some thought in this work.
0: What's the first work, and how does that fit into that argument you just made?
1: The first lot is an Elizabeth Payton. It's called The Age of Innocence. And... The reason we're starting with that is multifold. One, it's the work that I've been trying to get forever. It belongs to a really important collection, and I've been trying to get it for as long as I can remember when I was at at Christie's. Uh, Never managed to, so it was always on my target list. The second is that Elizabeth Payton is one of my favorite artists. It's an artist that I hugely believe in. Who's the painting of? It's uh, The Age of Innocence, after the movie, Matthew Day Jackson kissing Michelle Pfeiffer. And it's a very compressed, intimate pattern at its, at its best, basically.
0: And you like the title as a metaphor for you and your company?
1: For me, it's all there. So it's like, you know, when I was thinking of what would be the first work, there's, you know, right now we are this moment of utter chaos in the world. And Fair Warning is trying to create Everybody says, oh, Loïc is a disturber, Fair warning is there to disturb, but we actually it's almost the contrary. We're trying to create a little clearing of peace in this world of chaos and sensory overload and entropy, something where you have one work, this is all you can think about, and it's, you have this little you know, moment of grace in this world of brutes, basically, and that work in particular, that intimate work, which was itself a moment frozen in time and when that movie... You know, what's happening. So, this is, I, f- I find it very symbolic of what we're trying to achieve, and it's a moment of love and intimacy and grace and beauty in a moment of chaos.
2: Next up, Loic and Josh take a step back to look at the big picture of how the art market has evolved in recent years, why people buy art in times of chaos, and what we can do as art professionals to make the world a better place. This episode is brought to you by art and tech innovator, TR Lab. TR Lab partners with artists, foundations, and institutions to develop unique digital art experiences with an educational mission. Visit trlab.com to see how TR Lab is fusing blockchain technology with fine art expertise to pioneer the future of collecting.
0: So to circle back, what is your view of that uh, crazy thing called the art market or the art markets. What's your takeaway from, uh, you know, we're in mid-November, from the recent scene. What's going on from your vantage point?
1: Look, I think there's two things. We always want to approach the market as a monolithic thing, beast, but it's not. Even when the market was strong or overheating, as people were, were saying, or, and everything was flying off the shelf, even the, during that time, there were artists experiencing huge recalibration in prices. The same when the market is a bit slower. You know, when things are, are really good, people think they're great, but they're actually way more balanced. It's just that the spotlight is always on what is doing well. Right now, you have those sales that did extremely well, but also the auction houses are very smart. They will show and sell and highlight, at this moment, the, the works that will sell the best in this current market. It's never as good, it's never as bad as we think. It's probably actually healthier than we think because this constantly, Away from the spotlight and away from the Artnet news, the Bloomberg news, the high numbers we see, there's there's a constant like turnover and cleaning and healthiness of the market up and down. And then the second thing, you know, everybody's talking about interest rates and the macro situation, and worried about the art market. But I also see, you know, the field of collecting is expanding. And that's constant. Even when people have less money there's still people interested in art. And I always see the art market as an underground mushroom that just like spreads on the ground and keeps spreading. There's no macro situation that changes the growing interest generally in art. So yes, you have different forms of pressure on the market here and there, but on the other hand, to counter that, you have a growing collecting base. So that I think accounts for what we call a bit of a softer l- landing or maybe more resilience in the art market. And then there's another another more, I would say, metaphysical, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but um, interpretation that I have. I think that especially in the world we're living in, with the absolute chaos that is going on, the entropy, the anxiety, and so forth, there is something that is like, people don't really know how to deal with this situation. I see there's about four ways to deal with it. One is to get drunk and get numb to the situation. One is probably <laughs> to take some other drugs to, like, dissociate yourself from it. The other one is probably to meditate and to try to transcend, more find a spirituality or so forth. And probably the fourth is to, to buy.
0: So, they're like, retail therapy would be the term. I think to I'd s- say number five is, like, um, get off your ass and do something about something. You left that one out.
1: Yeah but I'm going to come back to that a bit, a bit later but I I think when you feel powerless that we're talking about a, a world where right now a lot of us feel powerless uh, again it's a longer conversation I can tell you I'm, my day job is fair warning my night job is oceana I'm trying to this, I know there's a lot of money in this world but it's very hard to get money for environmental cause but to come back to to what I was saying I think no matter, you know, the interest rate can keep going up, but like people find some kind of security in buying art and you can call it retail therapy. And I think that in itself divides in two components. There's one, I would say probably unhealthy. That is basically you have some kind of existential, a spiritual void and you want to fill it with objects. You want to cling to something solid because everything around you is breaking apart. But the other one is actually a way to connect with something that goes beyond, and that is an entry point in some kind of a metaphysical realm that transcends chaos, basically.
0: Some people I've been talking to lately, as you're saying, they're depressed, they feel a little bit powerless, and I tell them, go volunteer someplace, do something philanthropic. I've spent 40 years working with Avenues for Justice. You spent a long time working with Oceana.
1: Look, I spent a lot of time, too much time, probably I should have spent more time getting rich so then I could give this money uh, away, which would probably be energy better spent. I spend more time like chasing people to say, hey, there's this really important environmental project that needs your help. You know, I keep begging people uh, to come and try to make a difference where we can. I do think coming back to what I was saying, in this world with a bit of chaos and honestly loss of spirituality and, disconnectedness and separateness, and you lose your understanding of connectedness with your fellows, the planet, and so forth. So, you know, this is maybe wishful thinking or utopianist, but I managed to do it to some kind of degree at Christie's of really constantly trying to, like, bring some charitable component to it. Of course, everybody remembers the sale with DiCaprio, but there was a lot of other initiatives, and I really want Fair Warning to be a place where We can also use this to make a difference, and that's really a call to anyone who's interested. I I really want uh, Fair Warning to do the maximum it can, you know, without us going out of business. It's a small company, but it has a big voice. Artists have a big voice, so I want to do that. And then the more you get involved, you realize that there's a lot of change that we can do, and I count to use Fair Warning to try to further this cause, not only just, you know, the ocean cause, any environmental cause, but try to do a bit of good. With the means we have.
0: Little Birdies told me that there might be another very prominent former auction house advisor who's uh, high energy like you involved. Is that rumor true? And if it is, who is it and what are they gonna do?
1: You have good birdies. We're gonna be working with Gabriela Palmieri, Palmieri Fine Arts, who was actually probably my first boss when I moved to Salabi's in New York, and who's an incredible Dynamo in this art market, very different profile than mine, but super complementary. And when we used to work together, we used to work extremely well. So she's going to be part of Fair Warning in some capacity. More details to come on this, but I think it's going to be very good because she is an incredible force. This is going to be great for the genesis of Fair I'll Warning. Give you 2. someone oh.
0: to challenge you and we, for you to challenge there. And then that kind of partnership is arithmetic in its scope. It's exponential. So that's exciting to hear.
1: Yeah. And this Except
0: is- that she married a Patriots fan other than that.
1: <laughs> he, no, I think it's very important. The last thing I want to happen at Fair Warning is that we have, uh, I want people to think the same way culturally and metaphysically. But I, the whole idea here is that there's a real debate going on about the art, about the trajectory of the market, of art history, and from those daily micro collisions, that great ideas come. I never operate in a vacuum. I had always my aspiring partners, Brett Corvey, Alex Roder, and a lot of different colleagues that you you know you go and you test those ideas, you bounce them, and this is how they take shape and turn into reality. This is gonna become more clear in the future, and this is the direction I want Fair Warning to grow organically and become a place with different minds, with different ideas, with, that may not agree on everything, but agree on the idea of selling art that we believe
2: is good and relevant. We'd like to give a big thank you to Loïc, for sitting down with us for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Bear Facts Podcast, brought to you by the leading news source for the art world since 1994. Our host is Josh Bear. Our executive producer is Lu Yang Jiang. Our content strategist is Bo Liang Shun. I'm Will Griffith, our associate producer, and our editing team is Mona Productions. Check back soon for future episodes as we unpack the inner workings of the global art industry through exclusive, candid interviews with key players in the business as they offer their perspectives on art and the market in the US, Asia, Europe, and beyond.